Section One of Grotesques and Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Irie. Grotesques and Fantasies by Israel Zangwill. The Semi Sentimental Dragon there was nothing about the outside of the dragon to indicate so large a percentage of sentiment it was a mere everyday dragon with the usual squamous hide glittering like silver armour a commonplace crested head with a forked tongue a tail like a barbed arrow a pair of fan-shaped wings and four indifferently ferocious claws one per foot how it came to be so susceptible you shall hear and then perhaps you will be less surprised at its unprecedented and undragonlike behaviour once upon a time as the good old chronicler richard johnson relateth egypt was oppressed by a dragon who made a plaguey to do unless given a virgin daily for dinner for twenty-four years the menu was practicable then the supply gave out there was absolutely no virgin left in the realm save sabra the king's daughter as three hundred and sixty-five times twenty-four only equals eight thousand seven hundred and sixty i suspect that the girls were anxious to dodge the dragon by marrying in haste the government of the day seems to have been quite unworthy of confidence and utterly unable to grapple with the situation and poor ptolemy was reduced to parting with the princess though even so destruction was only staved off for a day as virgins would be altogether off on the morrow so short-sighted was the egyptian policy that this does not appear to have occurred to anybody at the last moment an english tourist from coventry known as george and afterwards sainted by an outgoing administration sent to his native borough by the country resolved to tackle the monster the chivalrous englishman came to grief in the encounter but by rolling under an orange tree he was safe from the dragon so long as he chose to stay there and so in the end had no difficulty in dispatching the creature which suggests that the soothsayers and the magicians would have been much better occupied in planting orange trees than in sacrificing virgins thus far the story which is improbable enough to be an allegory now many centuries after these events did not happen a certain worthy citizen an illiterate fellow but none the worse for that made them into a pantomime to wit st george and the dragon or harlequin tom thumb and the same was duly played at a provincial theatre with a lightly clad chorus of egyptian lasses in glaring contradiction of the dearth of such in the fable and a sabra who sang to them a topical song about the county council curiously enough in private life sabra although her name was miss on the posters was really a miss she was quite as young and pretty as she looked too and only rouged herself for the sake of stage perspective i don't mean to say she was as beautiful as the egyptian princess who was as straight as a cedar and wore her auburn hair in wanton ringlets but she was a sprightly little body with sparkling eyes and a complexion that would have been a good advertisement to any soap on earth but better than sabra's skin was sabra's heart which though as yet untouched by man was full of love and tenderness and did not faint under the burden of supporting her mother and the household for instead of having a king for a sire sabra had a drunken scene-shifter for a father everybody about the theatre liked sabra from the actor-manager who played st george to the stage-doorkeeper who played st peter 
even her understudy did not wish her ill needless therefore to say it was sabra who made the dragon semi-sentimental not in the book of course where his desire to eat her remained purely literal real dragons keep themselves aloof from sentiment but a stage dragon is only human such a one may be entirely the slave of sentiment and it was perhaps to the credit of our dragon that only half of him was in the bonds the other half and that the better half was saturnine and teetotal and answered to the name of davy brigg davy was the head man on the dragon he played the anterior parts waggled the head and flapped the wings and sent gruesome grunts and penny squibs through the fire-breathing jaws he was a dour middle-aged but stage-struck scot very proud of his rapid rise in the profession for he had begun as a dramatist the rear of the dragon was simply known as jimmy jimmy was a wreck his past was a mystery his face was a brief record of baleful experiences and he had the aspirates of a gentleman he had gone on the stage to be out of the snow and the rain not knowing this the actor-manager paid him ninepence a night his wages just kept him in beer money the original sabra tamed two lions but perhaps it was a greater feat to tame this half of a dragon jimmy's tenderness for sabra began at rehearsal when he saw a good deal of her and felicitated himself on the fact that they were on in the same scenes after a while however he perceived this to be a doleful drawback for whereas at rehearsal he could jump out of his skin and breathe himself and feast his eyes on sabra when the dragon was disengaged on the stage he was forced to remain cramped in darkness while ptolemy was clowning or st george executing a dance step sabra was invisible except for an odd moment or two between the scenes when he caught sight of her gliding into her dressing-room like a streak of discreet sunshine still he had his compensations her dulcet notes reached his darkness mellowed by the painted canvas and the tin scales sewn over it as the chant of the unseen cuckoo reaches the woodland wanderer sometimes when she sang that song about the county council he forgot to wag his tail thus was love blind while indifference in the person of davy brigg looked its full through the mask that stood for the monster's head after a bit jimmy conceived a mad envy of his superior's privileges he longed to see sabra through the dragon's mouth he was so weary of the little strip of stage under the dragon's belly which even if he peered through the breathing holes in the patch of paint disguised gauze let into its paunch was the most he could see one night he asked davy to change places with him davy's look of surprise and consternation was beautiful to see do i hear aright he asked just for a night said jimmy abashed but do you know ken this is a speaking part i did not know that faltered jimmy where's your ears mon inquired davy sternly dinna ye hear me growlin and grizzlin and squealin and skirlin yes said jimmy but i thought you did it at random thought i did it at random cried davy holding up his hands in horror and maybe also you thought anybody could do it jimmy's shamed silence gave consent also to this unflinching interpretation of his thought ah weel said davy with melancholy resignation this is the artist's reward for his sweat and labour why mon let me tell ye 
Ilkenot, it's not only timed, but modulated to the dramatic interest of the moment, and that I practice the squeak hours at a time with a bagpiper. Take my place, indeed. Are you for again, or how you tint your senses? But you could do the words all the same. I only want to see for once. And how do you think the words should sound, coming from the creature's belly? And what should you see? You shouldn't ken where to go, I warrant. Come, I'll spear you. Where do you come in for the fight with St. George? Is it R2E or L-U-E? L-U-E, replied Jimmy feebly. You donard old runt, cried Davy triumphantly. Tis neither one nor t'other. Tis R.C. Why, you're capable of deepin' up stage instead of down. You'd spoil my great scene, and ye are to remember I would bear the weight for it, for naebody but our two selves should ken the truth. Nay, nay, my man, I hae my responsibility to the management. You're all very well in a subordinate position, but then ye aspire to more than beseems your abilities. I'm right glad ye spoke me. Eh, but it would be an awful thing if I was taken bad and naebody to play the part. I warned the manager to put out an understudy betimes. Oh, but let me be the understudy then, pleaded Jimmy. Davy sniffed scornfully. Tis a braw thing, ambition, he said. But there's a proverb about it, you can, maybe. But I'll notice everything you do, and exactly how you do it. Davy relented a little. Ah, will, he said cautiously. I'll bide a wee before speaking to the manager. But Davy remained doggedly robust, and so Jimmy still walked in darkness. He often argued the matter out with his superior, maintaining that they ought to toss for the position, head or tail. Failing to convince Davy, he offered him fourpence a night for the accommodation. But Davy saw in this extravagance evidence of a determined design to supplant him. In despair, Jimmy watched for a chance of slipping into the wire framework before Davy, but the conscientious artist was always at his post first. They held dialogues on the subject, while with pantomimic license the chorus of Egyptian lasses was dancing round the dragon as if it were a maypole. Their angry messages to each other vibrated along the wires of their prison-house, rending the dragon with intestinal war. Weave your cloud-wrought utopias, O social reformer, but wherever men inhabit, their jealousy and disunion shall creep in, and this gaudy canvas tent with its tin roofing was a hotbed of envy, hatred, and all uncharitableness. Yet love was there, too, a stranger, purer passion than the battered Jimmy had ever known, for it had the unselfishness of a love that can never be more than a dream, that the beloved can never even know of. Perhaps if Jimmy had met Sabra before he left off being a gentleman. The silent, hopeless longing, the chivalrous devotion, yearning dumbly within him, did not stop his beer. He drank more to drown his thoughts. Every night he entered into his part gladly, knowing himself elevated in the zoological scale, not degraded, by an assumption that made him only half a beast. It was kind of Providence to hide him wholly away from her vision, so that her bright eyes might not be sullied by the sight of his foulness. None of the grinning audience suspected the tragedy of the hind legs of the dragon, as blindly following their leader they went galumphing about the stage. 
the innocent children marvelled at the monster in wide-eyed excitement unsuspecting even its humanity much less its double nature only davy knew that in the dragon there were the ruins of a man and the makings of a great actor why are ye so anxious to stand in my shoon he would ask when the hind legs became too obstreperous i don't want to be in your shoes i only want to see the stage for once but davy would shake his head incredulously making the dragon's mask wobble at the wrong cues at last once when sabra was singing poor jimmy driven to extremities confessed the truth and had the mortification of feeling the wires vibrate with the scotsman's silent laughter he blushed unseen but it transpired that davy's amusement was not so much scornful as sceptical he still suspected the tale of a sinister intention to wag the dragon nay nay he said ye shall na get me to swallow that you're a nunco poor creature but you're nae so daft as to want the moon she's a bonny lass and i will na be surprised if she catches a cornet in the end when she makes a name in lunnon for the swells here though i see a wheen foolish faces nicht after nicht in the stalls are but a poor lot eh but it's a gay gan talker is a pretty face in the meanwhile like a canny girl she's settin her cap at the chief hold your tongue hissed the hind legs she's as pure as an angel hoot toot answered the head did i label the angels it's no angel that lets her manager give her sly squeezes and soft kisses that are nay in the stage directions then she can't know he's a married man said the hind legs hoarsely dinna fash yersel she cans that full wheel and a thought or two more dod you should just see how she and st george carry on after my death scene when he's supposed to have rescued her and they fall a cuddlin you're a liar said the hind legs davy roared and breathed burning squibs and capered about and jimmy had to prance after him in involuntary pursuit he felt choking in his stuffy hot black rollicking dungeon the thought of this bloated sexagenarian faked up as a jeune premier pawing that sweet little girl sickened him don't leer yersel resumed davy coming to a standstill i mun believe my own eyes what they tell me nicht after nicht then let me see for myself and i'll believe you you dinna catch me like that said davy chuckling after that poor jimmy's anxiety to see the stage became feverish he even meditated malingering and going in front of the house but could only have got a distant view and at the risk of losing his place in an overcrowded profession his opportunity came at length but not till the pantomime was half run out and the actor-manager sought to galvanize it by a second edition in which some meant a new lot of the variety entertainers who came on and played copophones before ptolemy did card tricks in the desert and exhibited trained poodles to the palm trees but davy determined to rise to the occasion thought out a fresh conception of his part involving three new grunts and was so busy rehearsing them at home that he forgot the flight of the hours and arrived at the theatre only in time to take second place in the dragon that was just waiting half-manned at the wing he was so flustered that he did not even think of protesting for the first few minutes when he did protest jimmy said what are you drawing about this is a second edition isn't it 
and caracoled around dragging the unhappy davy in his train i'll tell the chief groaned the hind legs all right let him know you were late answered the head cheerfully eh hey, but it's pit murk here i canna see anything you see i'm no liar shall i send a squib your way nay nay na larkin mind the business or you'll ruin my reputation mind my business i'll mind yours replied jimmy joyously for the lovely sabra was smiling right in his eyes a dragon divided against itself cannot stand so davy had to wait till the beast came off to his horror jimmy refused to bud from his shell he begged for just one kick at the stage but jimmy replied you don't catch me like that davy said little more but he matured a crafty plan and in the next scene he whispered jimmy shut up davy i'm busy i've got a pin and if ye shallna promise to restore me my rex after the next exit ye shall feel the taste of it you'll just stay where you are came back the peremptory reply deep went the pin in jimmy's rear and the dragon gave such a howl that davy's blood ran cold too late he remembered that it was not the dragon's cue and that he was making havoc of his own professional reputation through the canvas he felt the stern gaze of the actor-manager he thought of pricking jimmy only at the howling cues but then the howl thus produced was so superior to his own that if jimmy chose to claim it he might be at once engaged to replace him in the part what a dilemma poor davy as if it were not enough to be cut off from all the brilliant spectacle bent in pitchy gloom and robbed of all his fat and his painfully rehearsed second edition touches he felt like one of those fallen archangels of the footlights who lived to bear ophelia's beer on boards where they once played hamlet far different emotions were felt at the dragon's head where jimmy's joy faded gradually away replaced by a passion of indignation as with love-sharpened eyes he ascertained for himself the true relations of the actor-manager with his principal girl he saw from his coin of vantage the poor modest little thing shrinking before the cowardly advances of her employer who took every possible advantage of the stage potentialities in ways the audience could not discriminate from acting alas what could the gentle little breadwinner do but jimmy's blood was boiling davy's great scene arrived the battle royal between st george and the dragon sabra bewitchingly radiant in white arabian silk stood under the orange tree where the pendant fruit was labelled three a penny here st george in knightly armour clad retired between the rounds to be sponged by the fair sabra from whose lips he took the opportunity of drinking encouragement when the umpire cried time jimmy uttered inarticulate cries of real rage and maledictation vomiting his squibs straight at the champion's eyes with intent to do him grievous bodily injury but squibs have their own ways of jumping and the actor-manager's face was protected by his glittering burgeonette at last jimmy and davy were duly dispatched by st george's trusty sword ascalon which passed right between them and stuck out the other side amid the frantic applause of the house the dragon reeled cumbrously sideways and bit the dust of which there was plenty 
then sabra rushed forward from under the orange tree and encircled her hero's hauberk with a stage embrace while st george lifting up his visor rained kiss after kiss on sabra's scarlet face and the gods went hoarse with joy oh sir jimmy heard the still small voice of the breadwinner protest feebly again and again amid the thunder as she tried to withdraw herself from her employer's grasp this was the last straw anger and the foul air of his prison wrought up jimmy to asphyxiation point what wonder if the dragon lost his head completely davy will never forget the horror of that moment when he felt himself dragged upwards as by an irresistible tornado and knew himself for a ruined actor mechanically he essayed to cling to the ground but in vain the dead dragon was on its feet in a moment in another jimmy had thrown off the mask showing a shock of hair and a blotched crimson face spotted with great beads of perspiration unconscious of this culminating outrage davy made desperate prods with his pin but jimmy was equally unconscious of the pricks the thunder died abruptly a dead silence fell upon the whole house you could have heard davy's pin drop st george in amazed consternation released his hold of sabra and cowered back before the wild glare of the bloodshot eyes how dare you rang out in hoarse screaming accents from the protruding head and with one terrific blow of its right foreleg the hybrid monster felled sabra's insulter to the ground the astonished st george lay upon his back staring up vacantly at the flies i'll teach you how to behave to a lady roared the dragon then davy tugged him frantically backwards but jimmy cavorted obstinately in the centre of the stage which the actor-manager had taken even in his fall so that the dragon's hind legs trampled blindly on davy's prostrate chief amid the hysterical convulsions of the house next morning the local papers were loud in their praises of the second edition of st george and the dragon especially of the genuinely burlesque and topsy-turvy episode in which the dragon rises from the dead to read st george a lesson in chivalry a really side-splitting conception made funnier by the grotesque revelation of the constituents of the dragon just before it retires for the night the actor-manager had no option but to adopt this reading so had to be hoofed and publicly reprimanded every evening during the rest of the season glad enough to get off so cheaply of course jimmy was dismissed but st george was painfully polite to sabra ever after not knowing but what jimmy was in the gallery with a brickbat and perhaps not unimpressed by the lesson in chivalry he was receiving every evening perhaps you think the dragon deserved to marry sabra but that would be really too topsy-turvy and the sentimental beast himself was quite satisfied to have rescued her from st george but the person who profited most by jimmy's sacrifice was davy who stepped into a real speaking part emerged from the obscurity of his surroundings burst his swaddling clothes and made his appearance on the stage a thing he could scarcely be said to have done in the dragon's womb and so the world wags end of the sentimental dragon